Hey guys, welcome to the pod. Uh, this is a special one. It is my first two guest pod. I got Don and Casey on the podcast. So do you guys want to introduce yourselves to start out? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was an introduction. I've, I've been on the pod a couple Multiple couple, times. Multiple yeah. times. At least twice. This so. is time three, I think. Oh my gosh. A uh, long time um, person on and long time listener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do do you listen well, to this one? I know you I, listen to the politics one, but do you listen no, to this, this one? I, this is the first one. I think I was on episode one. You were on. No, I'm saying, do you listen to it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Seems, yeah. yeah. You you were guest number one yeah. before the rename and everything. Uh, well, I guess I'll introduce myself then. I'm Don. I'm also a listener. I have listened as well. Um, and uh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> so I, i'm i'm dropping the of course covid segment because it just it, it's an ongoing thing so let's just hop into what have you guys been up to and then we'll get into our main topic sure. either go. one of you can go first uh, yeah sure so i guess i'll go first uh well <laughs> what i've been up to has a lot to do with our main topic so um <laughs> Uh, but, uh, so, uh, I run my own, uh, D and D game. I just had a, a session, um, earlier this week and, uh, that's been really cool doing it online because of, you know, it's an online game that I've been running. So, uh, it's really convenient that COVID, you know, didn't have any effect on that particular game. Um, you know, everyone's kind of still around and still playing that. Um, and uh, actually am reading up on a new system that uh, a tabletop system that we'll probably talk about in a little bit. Awesome. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, I've been doing this Star Wars 5e thing with the help of both of you, actually, <laughs> which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about. But it's it really is. And Don can confirm it a little bit better than I can. Um pretty much copy paste of Dungeons and Dragons 5e. I think they've done a pretty decent job of converting and whoever's behind the scenes, um, I'm in their discord group and on their Reddit group. Um, they update it every week. Like they just added a new character class today. So they're very vigilant with coming up with new characters and new systems. And I appreciate the enthusiasm as a star Wars fan and as a role-playing game fan. So I'm excited that we're all building this world together. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get back into our D and D game. I had to take two weeks off cause I over extended myself quite a bit. Uh, so after this week, things should be back to normal and I should be able to participate and uh, Casey, I know I mentioned this in our politics group, but I just finished uh, American Nations, which is now like my recommended book for understanding American history and politics. That was an absolutely amazing book. So um, if you're looking for a good read out there, check out Colin Woodard's uh, American Nations. But let's hop right into. Oh, yes. I was going to say, may I, can I recommend a book? Sure, go ahead. So I'm 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 reading um, uh, how to be an anti-racist, and I want to get the author's name, although I will probably butcher it. Um, <laughs> to be fair, um, 
So uh, um, Ibram X. Kendi is the author's name. And uh, it is a phenomenal book that uh, takes a personal dive into his own experience with racism, um, but also paints the argument in a great way that particularly for uh, for white people to understand the multifaceted aspects of, of, of racism and how to fight against that and be more cognizant of it. So it's a really great book. Highly recommend it. Casey, do you got a book recommendation? Uh, so I, th- I think I talked to Don about it. I don't know if I talked to you about it, but I'm actually got into at least one specific lit RPG, uh, which is a genre that's only been around for maybe the last five years or so. Um, but it's basically taking uh, classic role-playing game elements um, and adding it to the fantasy genre. So the difference between this and like a normal fantasy book is that if you go and say in a normal fantasy book, like the you know the mage cast fireball, okay, great. This would be like the mage cast fireball by using this much mana. Now he has this much left, so he can't do it, and he needs to regain, you know, find a potion or whatever. Like it's very more. Um, methodical, I guess, is the word I'll use. So I'm reading uh, the series by Dakota Kraut, the Dungeon series, and I'm on book four of five. Well, um, I guess before we move on to the main topic, I got a couple other things on books just to throw out there for the listeners. Um, I also started The Daily Stoic, which is a one-page-a-day thought and meditation to do. Like, it's just a daily thought on quote to think on, which I'm liking. Um, since it's been all nonfiction, um, I, I'll recommend I picked up Sandman on Audible, and I'm right. in the first chapter, and it's amazing. Uh, it, it translated really well. Neil Gaiman's the narrator. Um, James McAvoy plays Dream. Uh, it's very, very good so far. It's very engaging. And then I will recommend one book I finished a long time ago to bring us into this. There is a book I checked out that was called Critical Fail. And it's this uh, book in which a uh, group playing Dungeons and Dragons hires a DM to come DM for them. And they're mean to the DM. So he gives them special dice, which are magical dice that actually transport them into the world that the DM has created and they have to play the game in real life. It's kind of interesting. Huh. So I'll look that one up. That's so it's a trilogy. I've only read book one on it, so I got to do the other ones, but that, that brings us into our main topic, which I think is going to be the dominating topic, even with our conspiracy too. And that is tabletop RPGs, your fiasco dungeons and dragons, pathfinder, fate um everyone is john <laughs> I, I don't know this one but ff genesis system so, so that's, yeah that's, that's yep. it's it's fantasy <laughs> fantasy flight um, oh yes, fantasy flight kind of, okay yes. okay it's fantasy yes. flight system um yeah there's a lot of these we i think we've all played everyone is john together which is a fun one night um me we did a. Uh, a fiasco run, which is a fun one shot too. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the fate rule book and I really want to read it and understand it and try to give it a role. 
Um, I watched the uh, Will Wheaton's tabletop series on it, and it seems like a, a simplified version. It's a all D6 uh, fate die, um, and it seems more off the rails in that you have to be like, instead of having strength, you might have the skill like, I can jump really high is your skill. Okay. And then you have to say, I'm going to use the skill. I can jump really high to do this. Um, so it's more of a open ended storytelling RPG from what I've seen. Like more akin to fiasco then. Um, more, well, I guess fiasco, kinda fiasco has like a... but with, more rules, but not quite as many rules and regulations as Dungeons and Dragons, which I don't think the rules and regulations in Dungeons and Dragons are bad, especially once you get into 5e. It's just all depending on the type of system you want to play in. Yeah, I'd agree with that for sure. How do you like what do you want to talk about? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> we could talk about any of them. I mean, we could start with the most popular and do Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I mean, I've played I've only played 5E for Dungeons and Dragons and then my experience with 3.5 has been through the Pathfinder system, which oh my god is that so much more complex than 5E. Like <laughs> It, if if our Star Wars game was based off 3.5, we wouldn't be able to have any new players on it because they made that system difficult. Yeah, so, I mean, and this kind of goes really kind of looking a little bit into the history of specifically Dungeons & Dragons, but um, Dungeons & Dragons wasn't really ever meant to be kind of that that newbie-friendly type system. Yeah. And that didn't, you know, it really the concept of bringing in a lot of new players didn't really start until 4th edition. 4th um, edition was really the first edition that was geared towards trying to lessen that learning curve for new players to get in. 3.5, um, much like you mentioned, is a super complicated you know, thing, the benefits being that you could literally make whatever you wanted and there was probably some official content to support it. Um, but uh, you could very much get buried in the weeds for sure in 3.5. I will say I was brought into D&D in college in 3.5. And uh, so that was the game that brought me into it. Um, so, um, but yes, 3.5 is very complicated. Fourth edition was a kind of total departure from the standard system. Um, and they had a lot. It was kind of almost fashioned out of an MMO style of abilities and things like that. A lot of old D&D players hated it um, because of its refashioning. Um, and then 5e was kind of a return to um, the normal way of doing it. But they've streamlined a lot of it to be new user friendly. Yeah, and I, I guess for some of that history around Dungeons & Dragons, I mean, the system started up in the 70s with first edition, got really popular around the 80s. I think you saw a little bit of a dying off in the 90s and then saw a massive resurgence. Uh, it is a pop culture thing with Stranger Things now. There are There's Critical Role. There's well-known celebrities that play Dungeons & Dragons. Joe Magniella's Basement is a 
Dungeons and Dragons table uh mecca he his wife bought him an oil painting of his character that sits behind him in his room um (laughs) vin diesel plays uh there's a lot of celebrities that play and uh dungeons and dragons is now owned by wizards of the coast and i think in, in the past month or so there's also been a lot of controversy around dungeons and dragons itself um the uh, system of good and evil. I, I actually am not a huge fan of alignment because uh, I think it does. I, I like a little bit more character flexibility than alignment gives me. But like the traditionally evil races and we've even seen um, Dan Harmon's a huge Dungeons and Dragons guy. Uh, probably the best episode of Community was Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, which actually recently got pulled from both Hulu and Netflix so because crazy. Ken Jong was a dark elf and the whole blackface controversy around it. I, I, I don't actually agree with pulling an episode like that. Maybe putting a warning in front of it would have been the better action, but they completely pulled the episode. So Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I don't like that they did that. That actually super bothered me because dark elves are dark. I'm sorry. This is what they look like. (laughs) There's not. And like you said, like, just put a warning on if it's really going to offend somebody. I don't know anyone who's even seen that episode of color who was offended by it. Honestly, I've never heard of any sort of like, oh, man, that Ken Jong playing a dark elf. Like (laughs) He's offended me. I don't think I've ever, you know, maybe dark elves. I don't know, <laughs> but um, it's go on. Sorry. Yeah, it's interesting that you know, uh, talking about a lot of the um, racial sensitivity and, and mm-hmm. the controversy that's come around with that. So, Wizards of the Coast, uh, probably about a month ago, put out an article saying, "Hey, we kind of acknowledge all of these, you know, these racist kind of undertones or other things that might be associated with some of our content." Um, that we've put race restrictions in place that really don't benefit the game and they don't benefit storytelling. So we shouldn't have them there. Um, they talked a lot about, um, and particularly in the Curse of Strahd adventure set, um, the Vistani people are, are based on a culture, a real world culture, and they acknowledge that it was based on a lot of tropes and stereotypes and that they need to go back and correct that. Um, so they are trying to make efforts in trying to create much more inclusion and removing you know real world stereotypes essentially out of out of their books um which i think is a good step you know and i think you know anything that you're going to do to give players more flexibility and and feel free and encouraged to take more flexibility in how they create their characters is always going to be a benefit yeah i think i sent the article to both of you um someone has come out with kind of like a manual for how to address um race and culture in Dungeons and Dragons. And they pretty much put a proposal out that you would have two things. You would have a culture 
which would affect certain parts of your character, um, mainly around skills and stuff like that. And then you would have an ancestry, which would help you craft your strength bonuses, intelligence bonuses, things like that. And it would be based on who your mother and father were in the game. And I think that would be an interesting way of tackling a change to the system. There were two books that came out that were based on exactly that concept. And I was telling Casey about this. I got those two books um, because I was kind of curious to see how it would work. And that was probably a week before Wizards announced that they're going to put something out very similar. Yeah, I remember you were like, (laughs) wow, this is cool. I got this. I was like, sweet. And then you're like, and this is cool. This is what came out. I was like, hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm excited to see what Wizards is going to end up putting out for that as well. I hope it is something similar um, because, you know, they've they've got all this great um, solid lore that they can really draw from and uh, and make this system really, really open the system up quite a bit more than what it currently is and allow uh, players to really start experimenting with this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think any way... To be quite honest with you, I've never thought of race in a fantasy world, personally. Like, even when, if you, I, you know, because I'll draw everything to Star Wars, like, I understand that there are some racial uh, connections to, like, you know, you know, cultures in the real world. But even still, I go, but they're all fantasy characters and they're not really poking fun at them they're just kind of trying i mean i feel like the george lucas sense of like there's this kind of culture here and you know in real life so this would exist out in the galaxy and the same thing in 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 dungeons and dragons like there are these types of cultures and if you wanted to kind of relate it like not everything is just a talking tree or a smaller version of a person like i never got into that you know what i mean but that's just me i'm very glad that they are offering this inclusion for as much as they can do for everybody to feel as if they can join the game but i personally feel like with dungeons and dragons of all things like they've never turned anyone away it was more meant for become this other thing that you don't feel comfortable being in your real life and it's it to me it felt like one of the most inclusive things in pop culture but that's you know, that's why it's been geeks and nerds and, you know, and I can put myself in these categories that, you know, first migrated towards Dungeons and Dragons is because it was something that was on the fringes and it was something that was more included for those people who might be, they might be afraid to be who they are in real life, but they're not afraid to be a barbarian or a druid or whatever in, in the fantasy world. I would say I agree in that there might be some racial undertones in the system, but the way I played and the group I played with, I never saw that. And I didn't play, I understand there's some more classical campaigns that were written that you can really see that in. Right. Um, and I've probably never played any of those campaigns and I've avoided those campaign worlds. So I think that's one thing. Um, so I think, well, while we're still on the D&D system, I think we'll go through a couple different systems. And I do want to hear about the FF system, the Genesis system. Yeah. Um, I got to talk about alignment really quick while uh, <laughs> talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Because it's actually the key 
thing that bothers me in Dungeons and Dragons, and I understand the logic for it, because if you get a whole bunch of chaotic, evil people together, and sometimes this even happens without getting a whole bunch of chaotic, evil Mm -hmm. people together, you can get a party of murder hobos that just walk into a town and they're like, I'm going to kill the bartender. It's the chaotic, stupid alignment. The, The chaotic, stupid alignment. But I've always found myself driven um, to play the neutral alignments because I think those are more rich characters. And I think the true dick character in Dungeons & Dragons is lawful good. That is the true dick of Dungeons & Dragons. Um, Because they would be the one to chop off your finger if you stole something if the code of conduct said that is the punishment for stealing, they see no gray area in it. It's all so black and white, yeah. I would like to see also with them addressing good, evil, and race in the game, a, a new way of tackling alignment that maybe finds a way to solve for murder hobos without locking you to these archetypes that exist so i'm gonna disagree with you okay (laughs) um (laughs) so i think first and foremost uh alignment is not a place that you have to stay as a character first and foremost you can move all over the alignment map if you so choose as a character uh you know in my games in particular, I am a huge sucker for character development, and I love as a DM trying to push characters out of their alignment or putting them in situations where they have moral dilemmas to deal with, um, you know, and those kinds of things. And so they, you know, uh, I rarely see, you know, my party that I'm playing with is predominantly true neutral, neutral good. Um, but I have played with a number of players who have played most alignments. I would say the only exception being chaotic evil, which in terms of playing with a party is nearly impossible, especially yeah. if you stay, <laughs> if you are purely playing chaotic evil. Um, but I have seen lawful evil characters who have played fine in a party. I have seen lawful good characters, which bring up some really interesting character development and conversations with the party of trying to discuss with them like why is the law more important than anything else like really diving into those things and putting those characters in in some interesting situations so i think what it comes down to with alignment is number one not taking it as a place you have to stay as a character um and and the other part of that being that um you know uh and i think this is more for a dm is that Okay, that's your alignment, but you you have freedom to move. You have freedom to act outside of that alignment. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to go do this. Well, your alignment doesn't allow you to do that. Like that that's I don't think that's the intent behind uh, the alignment system. And they removed um, alignment requirements for things like paladins, which used to have an alignment requirement in like three five, where you would have to stay in your alignment hmm. or you could lose your powers. Like that kind of stuff could be really annoying, but they removed that in fifth edition on purpose. So I think my, my add to this will be, and maybe this is, I I've never been in a long enough campaign and 
I always think when you first hop into the game, I've I've developed a character, but I don't really know who that character is. Yeah. So I hate having an alignment at start because I don't really know how my character is really going to play until two or three games in. And I kind of feel locked to that alignment that you put on the character sheet. But yes, if it was more flexible or once you see how the character is really going to play with the party, you really say, this is my alignment. I guess I'd be more open to it, but I, I don't like it as an initial character development thing, just because I personally don't feel like when you hop into that first session, you know who your character fully is yet. Like I didn't know who my Wookiee was uh, until the second game. And then just the way things went in the second game, I knew we didn't need another super strong character in the game. We needed a healer and I've started developing this pretty crazy healer that I think is going to play pretty fun, but I I, I don't know where people are really going to think he's going to fall once you see some of the things he's going to do. I don't know either. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's another great example. And, and I can definitely see that, you know, especially if, you know, and, and again, I think this has a lot to do with play style is, you know, if you're going to develop a persona, that's probably going to be maybe a little bit more reflective of the group, right? Because you don't want to necessarily pick an alignment that's way out of left field in contrast with the rest of your group that typically doesn't play well. You know, so maybe you want to wait and see how the group's going to be. And maybe that'll influence your, you know, how you're going to play or something. Again, I, I think that, you know, and, and I would hope most DMs when they're playing are, are going to be receptive to that, you know, and, and would be allow that a flex flexibility um, for sure. Another, you know, kind of an example and also in the same game is, you know, the this Rodian engineer character that I'm playing is listed right now as balanced neutral in playing him and only and I've only played him in one session. He's not balanced neutral. He's neutral good. Like, um, you know, and and that's probably where he's going to be because he's surrounded by a bunch of edgelords. But... <laughs> one of them is not an edgelord. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're right. Got... The one I can't understand. Exactly. exactly. So uh, my Wookiee, who you didn't get to in- get introduced to, uh, the backstory was he used to be very good. He was a senator for the Republic. Uh, and was off world when Starkiller happened, but then ended up working for the Huts and kind of becoming more pro people. So um, he's very violent now, but diplomatic at the same time. Where like if you piss him off, he'll bash your head in, but he'll try to talk to you first. Was like the concept of it. So, well, I think um, I know you. You and I had a conversation about it because you were saying like, "Oh, I'm seeing some edge lordiness come in," and do you know? Are you okay with with having some dark characters? Because I, you know, it's the force, and there's a light side, and there's a dark side, and um, what I've said, and and even if I was playing it, you know, traditional uh, Dungeons and Dragons, you can have those dark tendencies because we're humans and we all do but when you are with the group your group comes first you know what i mean and like i think like yeah you do have to at least respect the fact of the people that you're you're working with because you know i I remember playing a game where the one character would basically just go off on his own because everyone else is like we're in a group we have to make these decisions together and then of course the chaotic evil character is just like no i'm going and killing all these babies (laughs) it's like 
you know, it's just it's not fun, you know, because the point of Dungeons and Dragons is at least as the group is to do things as an adventure. So I don't like that either. And I think it takes away from the the entire point of Dungeons and Dragons, which is to get together as a team. I'm just warning you, my doctor may attempt to buy the blood off some of our force sensitive party members and attempt to inject it into himself to expand his life force. So, uh, it'll get... count. <laughs> you said I couldn't use that word. I actually said that that word is banned from my game. Because I should actually put it in the rules. I was actually going to use it as part of my story arc that my doctor is obsessed with learning about metachlorians and how it works. So... So I suppose since we kind of made the jump, so we're we're talking about Star Wars 5e, which is an adaptation of uh, the fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons rules made specifically for Star Wars. Um, and it's very interesting. Their adaptation is really, they really did a great job of, yeah. you know, really trying to adapt all of D&D and make it star, you know, Star Warsified. They basically added all the fluff and the color of Star Wars over D and D. So it's it's been very interesting as I've been kind of looking through the book and looking at all of these different effects that have different names. And it's like, oh, well, that's Bardic Inspiration, and oh, that's this, and oh, that's this from Five E. And um, you know, but they've also done some very unique things. So they had to account for Jedi, which is a major component of the Star Wars universe. And you know, as opposed to having you know your um, religious, religious nature and uh, arcane magic types, you know, they've kind of condensed that down to only two types, yep. where they've done tech casting and force casting. Um, and they've done some really interesting things with that. They've also, of course, added their own unique items to these to, you know, to, to even add more to the Star Wars flavor of it. Um, but, you know, you don't really have to worry about things like balance or other things like that because it's it's based on 5e. So they already know that it is balanced at some level. Um so yeah, it's it's really they really did a great job with it. Um I know Casey's been mentioning that they update it almost every week which is really phenomenal that they they have so much love for this project that they're doing. And it's free, which is awesome. Yeah, 100% free. It is. Um, yeah, so, like, one thing is I've, I've never been a huge fan of playing spellcasters or things like that because of the complexity to them. I like the, the fighter barbarian characters because you know what I do? I hit things and I destroy them, and I've played in some campaigns where those spellcasters are like the the dungeon master does not put a timer on them and they're like uh well i could cast this spell which would allow me to but i, I don't want to do that and it's like five minutes later and you're waiting for a spellcaster, and right. i'm like just use a spell so um i noticed we had the air of not having a healer and that this game doesn't really have a healer class at all but then i went in and looked at uh what is it the the scholar, scholar. class yeah. the scholar class and they have a physician um specialization and i like the way they do healing with that in that you get to pick two um scholar abilities one of those is heal if you want to and at the beginning of the game you get an x number of superiority dice and that's pretty much your healing ability, but you're also still a regular 
fighter out there in battle, you just can do certain things for healing. So I'm like, oh, this healer class looks fun. I think I can play this without getting stuck up on all the, like uh, Bob got stuck on. Like, what if I force pull this and do that? I'm like, I don't like those complexities because I just, I've never really explored those types of classes. The Guardian is your um, force using healer. And that's it. I mean, really. And I guess engineer. I think you might have a little. Oh, so engineer is is an interesting combination between yeah, bard and artificer. And bard is an off is an off healer. Uh, they they have healing abilities that they can use, yep. but they don't have specializations specifically for healing. They just get yep. access to healing spells. Yep. Yeah, straight up healer. They it doesn't necessarily exist which you know but they've done a pretty good thing where they've balanced out the characters enough that an engineer can be on the same level as a jedi or else everyone would be a jedi or a sith and i think that that's really cool is that they've well you don't think so you don't think they balance it no, I think that no, I think they did great. I was just oh. saying the joke was was that I was the one that was killing everything oh, last you, season. Yeah, and we yeah. had Jedi's and everything else, and I'm the engineer <laughs> killing everything. He's the one who <laughs> saves the day. <laughs> you never know. You never know. But yeah, it's um, yeah. You know, I actually have to give it up, Jake. You are the one who found it. Uh, the Star Wars Fifth Edition. I didn't even know it was a thing. Didn't even know it existed. So they just had their two year anniversary. Um, the other day I can't say I'm surprised um, I think that is one thing that Wizards has kind of been okay with is when people use their kind of source material to create their own worlds they don't attack them super much for trademark and all that like because th- Wizards could probably come in and be like no this is 5e you're or even saying it's 5e Disney. <laughs> or, or <laughs> Disney <laughs> So if they're using the open SRD, which fifth edition has, um, that is completely like wizards gives that out freely. And it is the basics of the system, which is what I'm guessing that they're largely using under the hood. Now, if they were using um, stuff out of other source books beyond that, that's where you know wizards could potentially step in but i will agree with you on the other half the fact that disney has not come after them is actually quite surprising or or even fantasy flight because fantasy flight is the one that technically has the star wars license for they got the edge of empire games, right? yeah. yes so um hopefully so yeah it is, it is kind overlords. of Hopefully none of our overlords such as Disney are listening to this podcast. Yeah, right? the, yeah. You know, please don't hope... shut down our game. We just started. <laughs> yeah, Disney, please don't be one of our 10 listeners because uh, we don't want this game shut down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Star Wars one's really fun. Um, let's talk a little bit about Pathfinder because that was actually what I really got introduced on. Uh, so my cousin played Dungeons and Dragons and I played with them once or twice and never got it really into it and then i played with a group that uh started with pathfinder and i'm i'm lucky i got into it because it's the only system i've ever actually needed a computer app to create my computer or my character for because (laughs) i i don't think 
I would have had to have stacks of books and cross references without this computer app that was just like, all right, you've assigned this. This now unlocks these four trees. Pick two. Well, that unlocks these eight trees. Pick one. And it is complex. Um, the g- last game I was in, we had uh, a werewolf hunter who was cursed with being a uh, or sorry a vampire hunter who was cursed with being a werewolf and it's like that was all within bounds of the game (laughs) it's a complex system though the feats everything there's nothing simple about pathfinder at all well, and that was, you know, the interesting thing is, is that Pathfinder actually is the more user-friendly introduction to 3.5. <laughs> it is definitely more, it, you know, I, I've played, I've only played a little bit of the original Pathfinder 1E, because now there is a second dish, edition of it. Um, but when I first played it and I went through character creation, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much easier than 3.5. <laughs> so keep that in mind. So I, I, I do want to play version two because it's supposed to be super simplified. And I actually want to see how its battle system works because it's a pretty massive change in that each round you have three action points and each thing you do takes up X number of action points. So if you want to move uh, 60 feet in a round, each move of 20 feet is one action point. So you could just spend all six three action points to move if you are up close enough you can attack three times in a row um then they balance spell casters by making certain spells instead of being prepared take two action points or three action points um but i i want to see how that plays in combat versus the standard free action movement attack action things like that what what you know and, and the interesting thing about what they've done in in second edition is that whole action economy sounds a lot like what they tried to do in 4e for Dungeons and dragons I remember that. um and uh you know but the difference being is that in 4e they were coming up with these really kind of wild handcrafted abilities that had all of these cool additional things that you could do. Like you would be moving people 20 feet or bringing them closer to you or swapping spots with allies. Like it was so map based in 4D as well. Like you could not play theater of the mind. You had to have a map in fourth edition. And I feel like, um, you know, Pathfinder, I think it's always kind of just naturally had that requirement based on their system. Um, but, you know, it, it, the action economy does sound very similar in, in that regard, especially with like using a spell that costs three actions or something like that. Can you do it, a um, one off in Pathfinder? I, w- I oh, yeah. would think so. I think Absolutely. they exist already, too. Yeah, you they, could just buy do. a campaign. Okay. I've only read the comics. I've never played Pathfinder. The, the, the difficult thing I will say about doing um, one-shots um, in, in many of these more complicated systems that we're talking about, yeah. uh, you don't get a feel for really for the whole system. Right. Really like, that, that, that's really the only kind of downside of it. You know, games like Fiasco or Everyone is John, which is only supposed to be played in a single session, you get the whole concept of the game. Yep. But uh, but these systems being so complex and you're only seeing one side of it in a single session. Well, let, let's talk about 
uh, the two simpler systems we have on there, Fiasco and Everyone is John. Oh, you Can guys I something. Before we, before we do that, I just wanted to bring up two different things in, in the systems that we've talked about. So I did want to make a mention of D20 Modern um, and in terms of D&D. So D20 Modern is kind of based on 3.5, but was set based in you know modern times um or so it, it has you know guns and things like that it has oh, a couple yeah. of different it swapped out some skills um to make it more relevant for modern times um I, I will mention a fun story that a character that i played in d20 modern was a uh, a teenager uh that was basically a mecha fanatic and basically wanted to travel the world desperately trying to find his own gundam to pilot <laughs> Um, this is Don's <laughs> true life story. Yes, this is my true life story. Uh, he he also took an internship at the Yakuza just to get us just to get us a, a katana. Uh, so yeah, he, uh, I've done some pretty ridiculous things with that system. And then for Pathfinder, I also wanted to make a quick mention of its uh, companion sci-fi series, Starfinder, oh, yeah. um, which is uh, came out. Fairly recently, just before really 2E came out for Pathfinder, it is based on the first edition system um, of Pathfinder. And uh, but I will say that, you know, since they aren't building a whole bunch of like uh, additions and expansions on it and all of those kinds of things, at least in terms of like classes and things, it definitely is a more closed system than your standard path, um, you know, Pathfinder is. So it's another enjoyable system, you know, especially if you're looking for that that sci-fi itch that's not a register or a um, a franchise, if you will. <laughs> right. Not a Star Wars. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I would like to try Starfinder, a space adventure not placed in a pre-built universe at some point. Um, the two more simple systems we have on there, Fiasco and Everyone as John, are meant to be played in one night. And I think both only use D6 on them um, for everything. And yeah. uh, I think out of the two, Fiasco was fun. But Everyone is John is the true party game that we played. And um, it's a little controversial, I've heard now, especially based on the fact that it's pretty much someone who has schizophrenia and we're all the different personalities that take over him with our own goals. Um, I've heard there's a couple modifications where it's like he's possessed by ghosts or something to kind of not bring that um, mental part into it and be more calm. But everyone is John is a lot of fun in that you bid to take over John and then you're trying to accomplish your goals for the night well you're in charge but you can very easily lose charge of john and accomplish goals of other players too yeah that was um who who introduced that one i can't remember was that you that was that that was me yeah yeah <laughs> that was me and then when we were playing it i became a cult leader <laughs> <laughs> yes yes you did you did become a cult leader <laughs> uh, that that game was it's a lot of fun and it's definitely a party game we played it with uh eight people one time and john got into some pretty crazy things where i think the game ended with him naked on a highway and a burning car next to him and he was just surrounded by police 
Um, I don't remember what it took to get us there, but that was how the game ended. So, did you guys do the "Everyone is Batman" that I made up? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I thought that was fun. Yeah, that one was also. <laughs> yeah, I think oh, it's one on. of those anyone can play it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you, let me back up. You should have, uh, like, you should be creative. In some regard, I was going to say is yeah, that's definitely so. If you want to think of it like a, an improvisation kind of skill set, yeah, um, that is super helpful for both of these styles of games. Is the be almost able to... all of these styles of games really? Yes, so it definitely <laughs> can apply to all of them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the benefit of a, a much more crunchy system like D D or Pathfinder is yeah. you are going to have a lot of information in front of you to draw inspiration from. Whereas yeah. a fiasco or an everyone is John, you're not. Yeah. So you're kind of coming up with things on the fly, um, and and really taking a lot from the other people that you're playing with as well. Uh, so so that's kind of a lot of those improvisational kind of skills. Um, but if you're playing with a good group of people who have that kind of skill set, much like what, what you both have been saying, things can absolutely get off, off the rails very quickly. And it's a lot of fun. I would highly recommend now that I'm thinking about it, like get people who are going to get creative or at least drunk enough to get creative. You know what I mean? Like, because it really is kind of a bit of a party game in that sense, even though you are, you are being creative and you are doing improv, but I think that adds uh, way more value to the game is if everyone's into it, because, you know, that's one of the big things I think we'll all agree with is when you're a new player and you go to play a role playing game of any sort, you go, what can I do? And that sometimes is like so overwhelming of a question. And that if you don't have somebody, a DM or whoever guiding you, it will ruin your experience completely because you're like, we'll just do whatever. Well, that works for some people, but I would say the majority of people need at least a little bit of guidance and it's not a video game. So, you know, you don't have any table of content. So when you have a game like that's purely improvisational, which fiasco even is more, um, at least you kind of have a rule book with that one, you know, that kind of guides you along where you're going to go. But everyone is John. Make sure your group of people is people that you trust to kind of be able to think on their feet. You know who I'd like to bring in on one of these improv games, one of the simplers? I'd love Colin on one of these games. I um, think he'd be a ton yeah. of fun. Any, any actor. Yes. Yeah. I could, I, so I can tell you that he would he would absolutely have a ball doing that. Oh, yeah. Um, and get right into it. Um for sure. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, that that's kind of the thing is, you know, I would definitely say I, Fiasco and Everyone is John is not one of those games that especially if you're looking to introduce somebody into role playing type games is not one of the ones that I would necessarily oh, jump scary. to. Yeah. Um, no. With with a game like D&D and, a, you know, you can even can you can continue to simplify the rules down even further beyond what they are if you so feel so inclined. Yeah, but the, the, the benefit of a D&D is not only is the character sheet giving you a lot to go off of, but your adventure format is going to have a very solid structure to it, too. 
And so as a DM, you can guide that person a lot easier into, well, here's here's the mission. And this NPC is going to come up to you and talk to you and basically tell you exactly what you need to do. And, yeah. you know, all those kinds of things. So there's a lot of hooks that can get players so they know what they need to do to get from point A to point B, you know, and. But in Fiasco or in Everyone is John or in a lot of other games that are much more storytelling driven, which I think we're going to get into some more of those in a minute, too. um, Those beats kind of get pulled away and it's left a lot more free form for both the players and the DMs to start really getting creative and and going into some interesting directions. Yeah, I I played with. So the, I found out there's a whole subreddit devoted to one-page RPGs, and they're meant to be played mm-hmm. in one night. Um, and early in quarantine, uh, a group of us got together over Skype and played Scream, which is pretty much a horror movie, one-page RPG. You guys create characters. There's some very basic things about your characters, some very basic skills, and then the DM kind of guides you through the horror movie. And the, the concept is, you know, by the end of the game it's a horror movie only one person is really supposed to live or you know something horrible is supposed to happen at the end that was a lot of fun can you send um, it <laughs> yeah i can find it and send that's it like to you. right up my alley <laughs> yeah, definitely find that one and send it to you um and then fate the fate system which i want to try that is a much more complex rule book because it seems like it's meant to be played over multiple sessions or a one time but it's a simplified d6 based system and I've heard from some people that fate could actually just even be a writer's tool. Like, cause it really is more based on how you develop a character, how you develop the world you're playing in. It's not on rails. There's no classes or skills or anything like that. And then how you drive a story based on what is developed. And the whole point of fate is, to kind of randomize events that happen in stories and that if you roll a failure, well, great, your character could have had a great skill in it, but they failed and it it's fate that they failed. That's the whole concept behind that one. I'd have to, I know you sent me this stuff and it absolutely seems like interesting. I have to play it. Not, you know uh, what I mean? Like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whatever. You I have one. Yeah. So I haven't played yeah. it, but I would recommend Will Wheaton has a tabletop episode, and I think they actually had their DM was one of the creators of the Fate system. Okay. So, like, it was really official. Um, but that, and I think in that tabletop episode, one of the characters ends up getting sent to hell and through a series of roles steals like Lucifer's dagger, and when he comes back from hell, ends up stabbing another character with it just based on like the way things were going with it. So it was really, it's really more of an improv game. That one, I would say in the fact that you don't have those strict rails, even at the start of the game, the rails, it's more like, here's the building blocks go build. Mm -hmm. So, so I think the only one we haven't talked about was the one that I've been reading about. So the Genesis system, Yes. Um, which is written by Fantasy Flight. And um, and basically where this system came from is um, so Fantasy Flight has written tabletop RPGs for Warhammer. And then they've also written a whole series of of RPG books for Star Wars, um, which is their more recent project. 
And the Genesis system actually, they consider it to be the 3.0 version of this tabletop system. It started with Warhammer. It was further developed in Star Wars. And now they have abstracted it from any 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 genre is basically what they've done. They've basically said, here is how this dice system works. Here is how you can create characters and races and classes based on the system. Um, here is how you can format specific settings for whatever you want to do. Um, you know, and, and they give you plenty of different uh, examples and things, but it's all based on what they call the narrative dice system. And what's really neat about the system is it's not just about success or failure because you can roll success with advantage, success with disadvantage. Um, okay. You know, you can roll a failure with uh, advantages. And so basically the idea is, is that of every skill check that you make, you know, and they consider attacks to also be skill checks in the system. Um, you are narrating a lot more of the activity that goes on. And not only is the DM doing some of that, but they give a lot more power to the players in this game to narrate the actions that are going across. So players have to feel empowered to take that opportunity. Right. Um, but there is a lot more give and take in this system um, that, uh, you know, it, it doesn't do a whole lot of number crunching in this system compared to a D&D &D or a Pathfinder because uh, it's based on this dice system. Um, so it, it's really unique um, in what it does because the idea is, is that every dice roll is supposed to be significant in some way. And there's going to be a lot that happens as a result of these individual dice rolls. So, you know, it's like, hey, I'm trying to climb uh, this rock face because I'm trying to escape this monster. And you could really palette that with any genre you want. Um, but basically, OK, so you're going to roll, you know, your climbing skill, which is based on your brawn uh, skill, you know, and here's your difficulty for it. You roll it and it's like, oh, well, great. You got this advantage. And it's like, oh, well, you managed to. Um, carve in specific footpaths so that your next so that the next person in your party who comes up is going to have an easier time of it so you look at all these advantages hmm. and disadvantages to keep evolving the story and continue to move it forward as it goes through um, and i know that in the star wars adaptation of this system they kind of reframed the the gm's role in a really unique way in that you are driving scenes as if you're running a movie. That's the whole idea of, of, of running these adventures is you're doing them in scenes. So you come across this and you do X, Y, and Z. And then you may do like the next scene. You might do a fade to black and then you're over here. So you don't necessarily have to deal with all of the minutia that happens in between things. You might be only hitting the key points and the players may fill in what happens in between. Um, so it's a very interesting system. I did play a little bit of it in the Star Wars uh, world, and I did DM uh, a couple of sessions in Star Wars um, back when we could actually meet with people. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, there's a lot to like about this system um, in comparison to some of the other ones that we've talked to. And it's definitely a different way of thinking. So I can say from what I'm hearing, I want to try that. But that's also because yeah. I like those more collaborative storytellings. Um, 
I like the improv a little bit that involved with it. Actually, one of my favorite games recently, and that's not a RPG, was Pitch Storm. Um, wow. And that was... <laughs> That, that's purely an improv game about pitching yep. a movie. So, And I think that's one of the things that interested me about Fate was it was a little more improv and collaboration. So I'd definitely like to check out this system from what you've explained. So I, I will say that I'm I'm currently reading through the book because one of the things that I, I have not found a system to my liking yet um, that covers this particular genre, and it's going back to my D20 story, is that I want to create essentially a mecha anime tabletop RPG. <laughs> um, so because I want to live in the world of Gundam for the rest of my life. <laughs> Is this is this system meant to be an overarching story, or is it meant to be like if you use the um, example of a movie, more like you do this scene, you're done. You do this scene, you're done. It's all part of this movie that goes on for two hours. But like, what's a typical play session like time? So so well, right. So a tip. So you can run it as a typical adventure, and you could say that you know. You can have an overarching plot, right? But you can have pieces in between where it ends. You know what okay. I mean? So, you know, a session, uh, those sessions that I ran when I was kind of creating my own thing was a bounty hunter gave this party, you know, and said, hey, we want you to go rescue these slaves that were being taken by these slave traders. And so they went to go do that and they fought the slave traders and they ended up killing them and rescued the slaves mm-hmm. come to find out that those slave traders were the bounty hunters parents hmm. and so the final scene of the entire of the of that session was them finding out yeah that that was the case and, and they, you That's know rough. <laughs> so um and finding out that the you know the bounty hunter is going to be the big bad, yeah, yeah, in the long run, you know. So it's just interesting stuff. You can do it in so many different ways. Okay. So uh, you know, one thing about this podcast is it's not normally known for staying on topic for as long as it has. It's <laughs> uh, shocking, actually. Yeah, the fact that we're almost an hour in and we've stayed on topic this long is amazing but i'm gonna break us off topic at this point based on something don said Uh, all right you're talking about that gundam world you were trying to develop and uh nessa my daughter has i've been trying to find more for us to watch together she's four years old we've really started watching phineas and ferb and i've gotten her into the new ducktales and there is an episode of the new ducktales where they've met their mom and i think it's uh, oh God! Is it Huey at the time? I think it's Huey and Mom go to play Huey's favorite game, which is like a Minecraft type game. But you get to create your character, and Huey is just a farmer, and he's just been farming within his bubble the entire time. And Mom creates like a Gundam mech to exist in the world, and she's like, "Let's go out and fight! Let's go out and fight! Let's go out and fight!" And he's like, "Nope, I'm just gonna farm. I'm just gonna farm." And then his his farm gets attacked but he's got a defensive bubble around it and mom's finally like i'm gonna go out and fight it and she gets destroyed by this creature and 
So finally, Huey's like, oh, my God, I have to go out and do something. So he goes to the checkpoint that was just outside of his thing. And he's built up so much experience points uh, over the time that he pretty much becomes a super saiyan in the game. His hair goes spiky and everything and destroys it. And mom goes, he's over 9,000. And I just broke out laughing. And Ness is looking at me like, that wasn't that funny. Yeah. And I'm like, no, that, that was an amazing joke inside DuckTales. So. I love when they do that stuff for the, for the parents. (laughs) So we made it to the hour mark before wandering off of it to tell a story about DuckTales. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I think there's, I think we covered a good amount of the systems. There's so many more out there. Um, it really is. I think it's something that's great for people. It's an escape mechanism. It's a way to be creative. I think it's really nice during this time because you can get together over Skype, over a Roll20. Uh, you can use a Discord with a very awesome Roll bot that was created to do your dice rolls. Um, <laughs> unless you're phone wants to put a space in things when you're doing characters and the dice rolls fails but normally it'll be done from the computer and i just think i think role-playing games are just a good way to get out and explore without leaving your house (laughs) yes and and i think the one thing and and this has been a major drive i would say probably over the past three years especially with the rise of popularity of things like critical role in particular is the expansion of different voices that we are trying so trying to bring into this genre. This is a you know this, this type of game is heavily do- dominated by white males, um, and and so there's been a lot of push to try and bring other voices. I will tell you that the handful of games that I particularly have had uh, women in the games, it is a completely and totally different dynamic. I like it a lot. I think it provides such a um, bright, unique perspective and a lot of other things that it brings to the table. Um, and so, you know, you know, if anything, for especially for people who are listening, perhaps who have never played tabletop RPGs, you know, it it may look daunting from the outside, but um, it is it is definitely worth giving a shot. And you'll you'll probably find that it's. You know, it is a lot of fun because you get to to do all of the things that you wouldn't normally do. And uh, and uh, it's very interesting and and fun. Yeah, actually, um, I think Critical Role did it. Um, Deborah Ann Wool from Daredevil and True Blood. uh, She got into Dungeons and Dragons. And I think she recently DM'd a set of campaigns for Critical Role or one of those. And I'd love to check those out and see what she did. And I, I listen on and off to a couple D and D podcasts that are out there and they've got a handful of different DMS out there. Um, I think Matt Mercer is absolutely amazing, especially with his voice acting that he brings to it. He did one for, he, I don't know if it was for Nerdist, but it had a lot of the early Nerdist people on like Jonah Ray. And that was a fun, um, six episode, segment that and he did some great voices and brought some really thing interesting things as a dungeon master i think i watched that one too that was really good um and you bring up another point is the other thing worth mentioning is um 
every DM that you play with is completely different from another person too. And if you've had the opportunity to play um, multiple D&D games or multiple any tabletop games with D&D or uh, with uh, different uh, dungeon masters or game masters, depending on the system, um, you will find that there is a game master for every type of player out there. You know, if you want it to be a lighthearted game and you just want to laugh and laugh for the next three hours, there are DMs for that. If you want to have a game that um, is is really heavy on story and, and drama and that kind of that, there's a DM for that. If you want a, a really crunchy, like, strategy and, like, all of those, there's DMs for that. So, you know, we talked about these systems as having certain quirks to them, but honestly, at the end of the day, a lot of it rests in the hands of the DM that's running the game itself in terms of what it's going to feel like. And uh, if they're good DMs, uh, they're going to make the game... Uh, as enjoyable as possible for you, the player, because that's that's their primary responsibility. Yeah, and if you get a fresh uh, DM, they they might make the mistake of giving you an item known as magic beans um, that lead to an absolutely amazing story Still that is pure chaos. Um, <laughs> j- just for the listeners, the story on that, um, I was playing a, a campaign with another friend of ours and he gave us an item called magic beans and he gave us all of two of these magic beans um and we're up against a dragon and we decided to throw a magic bean inside the dragon's mouth which worked the magic bean had a effect roll a d100 and that random event happens um the dragon was almost dead the d100 we got caused beer to randomly produce from wherever it was causing the dragon to puke beer and die from puking beer because it did um, it was so forceful it did damage we then bottled the beer and asked if the essence of the magic bean was transported and the dm's like sure and then we started dipping arrows in the beer and every time an arrow hit we got to roll a d100 and an event happened uh, we had times where random flames were shooting up. I think we were on a boat and accidentally caused a massive tree to shoot up through the boat, causing the boat to sink that we were on. We formed a pyramid that had a, a mummy come out of it that was super strong. Um, it was pure chaos, but it was a lot of fun for a story. It was ridiculous. <laughs> it was. It was just plain was ridiculous. Very, very ridiculous. <laughs> Before we go on to the conspiracy related to D&D, any final thoughts about uh tabletop RPGs? Go play. I would <laughs> I would absolutely echo Don's thoughts. Um I will say one of my proudest moments as a husband was when my wife finally decided to play after being intimidated and being like, eh, this is just what you do. And then finally she did it with a couple other wives. Um, like there was a group of us and she loves it now. And now she, you know, she was creating a character an hour ago with us. So, um, you know, there is no, I don't think there's anybody who can't play Dungeons and Dragons or, or tabletop in general, because there's so much that you really could find a game for anybody. But I think you just really, it's hard 
um, it's intimidating if you if you've never done it. But if you can kind of find those people, and they exist on Reddit or other forums or whatever, where you'll find somebody who can help you uh, guide you onto these paths, and it's awesome once you do it. It's really great. I, I should say beyond go play. If you are looking for uh, opportunities to play, especially online during the times that we're in right now. Uh, on Reddit specifically, you can look for the um, LFG uh, channel, which they are posting looking for players all the time. Um, so you can certainly find opportunities there. Uh, they do list a number of games right on there that are in the West March style, which we do not have time to describe what that style is on this podcast. But uh, it is a it is an opportunity to get a lot of people to play quickly. Um, so um, so yeah, I would definitely say you could look there. Um, yeah, yeah, it's the style our Star Wars RPG has moved into. Um, that could probably be. A different podcast, especially with more of the players to discuss. Yeah. So, our conspiracy corner is going to be satanic panic around D and D. So early in D and D's life, uh, in the 1980s, um, people thought that people who played D and D were getting into Satanism. Um, this was pushed by the media because the media loves a good scare tactic. Uh, you know, figure out about what your game, your children are playing that's killing them tonight at 10 p.m. type stuff. And, of course, the religious right were pushing this, that this is pushing people away from God and towards Satan. And there was at least one murder linked to D&D that was probably blown out of proportion to increase the satanic panic around it. But um, as all players ourselves, I don't think any of us are having summoning circles in our basement, trying to summon demons into our home. Um, Casey looks as maybe I'm wrong and there's something (laughs) I'm missing. Um, But I, I I don't think any of these role-playing games have anything to do with Satanism for real, but uh, there was a pretty crazy panic that went out on around that. Sounds fun. <laughs> so, the, you know, I think the interesting thing with this is that especially because this was before, you know, video games with, you know, graphic fidelity were really uh, a part of it, uh, a part of kind of the culture. Um, this was the exposure to like the cults and all of that other kind of stuff that was kind of the the bread and butter of of D and D in terms of you know finding things to go and fight and and beat up and things like that, and especially because I, when I look at this and you know this was before my time you know I was born in eighty five, but uh, like I look at like Diablo and Diablo two. Um, <laughs> you know, those games when they came out and there was similar talk and it's like, uh, well, doom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, it's setting, right. It's all setting. And so it, it, it leans well to that, you know, and it's interesting. I kind of wonder if, if it wasn't set in the fantasy setting and if it was more like, for example, if it was sci-fi, would they have had the same uh, conversation? You know, would it have gone that way? You know, I just look at it as like they're trying to bring a certain time period and like, of course, it could look that way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think if it was sci fi, it would have been a lot harder to say, like, 
that was happening. And I think it, in part it was because, you know, the books did have characters that were based off traditional demons. It had pictures of traditional demons. I think it had um, the, I don't know what the symbol's actually called, but the star that's upside down in the circle. The pentagram. Pentagram. The pentagram. It had the pentagram in it. So there were like people that would look through there and be like, this is Satanism in a book. And it, it was just, it was a fun way to play games. You know, it was a creative outlet, but there was a moral panic that happened around it. And I think it's mainly been lost, but I think when you look back on it, there's a lot of things that have had this. Harry Potter had it when it first came out. Pokemon. Pokemon. Um, God, if you could go back to the 1980s with like a PlayStation 4 and show them modern doom or dark souls or something like that resident evil what would they say i mean hey it's we are and started from a puritanical society and that has not changed in Uh, the hundreds of years that we've been on this continent it has I don't even know if it's gotten worse, you know what I mean, in some way. So you have this thing with pentagrams and demons taking your kids to your basement for hours on end. And you know what I mean? Like they're probably listening to those records backwards at the same time. So, yeah, I mean, like, (laughs) well, let's let's be clear for a second here where we live in Yankeedom was founded on puritanical society. Uh, that is not the same across the entire U.S., but they have different religious panics that they bring into the means of today. Fair enough. So, yeah. Well, and, and again, I think this this comes down to a lot of what... It, it, it is also generational, right? So, like, if the generation above you doesn't understand the cultural medium, yeah. then the the risk of panic happens so we saw this happen with D. we saw this happen with video games we don't have a panic over video games anymore because the younger generation and and us being the next generation we all know what video games are right like the risk of that happening is very small but if there was a brand new medium that just came out of nowhere that suddenly all the kids were playing and like we were just never going to get TikTok. You are giving your information to the Chinese. Stop giving your information to the Chinese people. Yeah. Um, well, I, I feel like, you know, not that we didn't understand it, but I never got into or understand the craze around Fortnite. But it's but not it's the same. I, I don't yeah. think it's evil. I'm just like, I, I don't get this. I don't get it at all. <laughs> Um, but I think it's a lot less moral panic. We would need something crazily new to come through to create a moral panic around it. More, it's more like, I just don't get you, you and your younger generation now with your Fortnite and your TikTok and your dabbing. No, yeah. no, I think you're absolutely right. It has to be a totally brand new medium. Like, yeah. that's kind of the level it's got to be. You know, I it feel may, like and virtual reality, like yeah, if it goes I, I... to an extreme of what it is now. Possibly. The Oasis. If the Oasis comes out, it could create a moral panic. I can't wait. I will be in there. (laughs) First day. I will be at IOI making sure we market and financialize as much of the Oasis (laughs) as possible and turn it profitable. 
that that is going to be the key thing. Well, I can't um, wait to play video games with all you guys in the Oasis. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. Well, until somebody hacks it and you're trapped in there and you can't get out and now you're in an isekai anime. <laughs> hey, hey, all the blue check marks in the Oasis are trying to send me Bitcoin today. What's going on with the blue check marks in the Oasis? <laughs> and we're off the rails. Uh, well i mean conspiracy corner is the place to go off the rails we have we have brought up a couple different conspiracies and just skirted the water with them but yeah i think if anything vr would be the next thing um especially when people are like well what do you mean you're like in a relationship with someone and you don't even know what they actually look like and they live on the other side of the world and that starts to become the norm. But we're there he, now. Well, That's been we, around for since AOL. Okay, we're there now, but you can't have but the entire relationship sex isn't with them. Now, you know what I mean? Uh, I'd say we're there. I'd, I'd say we've been there for a while. I'd like the only difference I would think is that if I'm in the VR world, I probably am wearing a tactile suit so I could actually touch them as opposed to only communicate with them via text message or Skype. There's absolutely, we are there with relationships. I think the next step would be if you guys watch that show Upload where your consciousness actually goes up inside of a computer so your body is dead but your consciousness is inside of um, a, a virtual or like a computer. That San Junipero. And you, and you pay San Junipero. Yeah. Like if you have a lot of money, you get this level of death. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like if you're poor, you get this level of death or you just straight up die. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, I think, is honestly the next step for us as a society is what happens when you die where does your consciousness go so you think it's san junipero and not a video game where you're in a fight simulator and you end up having sex with your roommate instead i saw that Uh, (laughs) i i think that we can actually do now there's people on warcraft who got married and then they realize you know that it was my dude friend or whoever you know what i mean i don't gender whatever but you know what i mean like yeah i think that is now i mean our friend jackie got married through right so i mean i i guess i i think the difference though is so i think a lot of times when you talk about online relationships and in that regard anyways it is more of we met or we connected and you know but eventually it 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 has it to have that physical. transition. Yes. And uh, and I think that the, the next step is where that entire relationship just exists there. And you get all of the meaning out of your relationship there. And that's it. You know, but I mean, I, would, it, I think there's I, I get I guess for me, I maybe because I met my wife through Tinder, like I feel like we are there. Because I feel like there's some people who have met and then like it breaks down when they physically meet each other and they're just like, let's just go back to <laughs> behind the screens where it actually <laughs> works. <laughs> like I do. I agree with you. Definitely, Don. Um, but I think that 
we are kind of at that that point enough where we could have a relationship with somebody across you know the continent and you know let's just you know there's somebody in africa who i'm just happened to be text messaging with or kicking with or you know what i mean like i, I feel like that could happen i think i think the difference is the concept of the oasis brings another level to the relationship that does not exist especially if there are those full body suits where you can feel things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's that's where my main thing comes through. Like the Oasis would really change that. And while we're on this topic, HBO, since you have the Ready Player One property through WB, if you want to make a TV series and do that book right, I'd be fine with that. Um, please. Who's excited about Ready Player Two? Yeah, I'm gonna pick that up. I mean, of course, I'll get a day one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes, I, I will probably actually reread Ready Player One. Yeah, I probably was. I, I, I definitely will. It was be. a oh. fast read. I mean, it will. That's fine. well. I started reading that book after watching the movie, and within the first few pages, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is why the movie sucked because it didn't world build at all." And I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Normally, I can split the book and the movie as separate content, but I think I was just so excited for Ready Player One that I went in and was just so let down by what the movie was that that's one I can't separate. Well, the world is so fascinating in and of itself. Like, remove the plot. It's a really cool, you know, and and vividly described, especially in the book, obviously, vividly described world. And it's like, you want to see it. You, you want to see what was described. And if they missed the mark, and I have not watched the movie, so... But, you know, if they miss the mark, then, yeah, that's a definite bummer. I think they missed one of the things that I think they really missed in that movie was the world outside of the Oasis is dark. Um, In the first few pages, someone gets shot a couple of trailers over from him. And that's a normal occasion. And then you go to the Oasis to escape. And I don't think they made the world outside of the Oasis seem as dark as it actually was in the book and understanding the reason why the Oasis became the thing. Like, I mean, if the Oasis came out today with COVID and all the crazy stuff that's coming in, it would get quickly adopted. I it think, would be by people. sell the fuck out right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> that would, that would be the time, right? Yeah. Like you're locked inside. You can be in a virtual world where you can feel the sun on your face, even though, there's no sun on your face. You're locked in your room. You can be at your offices can force you to show up to work in a virtual environment and watch their employees work in VR. So, hmm. well, I like where this conversation went. <laughs> I'm just happy that we did not stay on topic at all for an extended period you know of time. What? I- like virtual reality is an extension of Dungeons and Dragons and role playing games in oh, general. Yeah. I actually feel like we're oh, still yeah. on top. <laughs> it's all it's all escapism at the exactly. end of the day. Oh yeah, for sure, without a doubt. Uh, we're, we're on topic, but off topic in the same way. Oh, so you know, and it's interesting that we now that we've kind of circled back. So there was one audience we didn't really talk about with D and D too is kids. So. um there's plenty of materials out there uh, specifically adapted to these role-playing games to play with children of varying ages, um, which is also great. And there's a lot of um, 
there's a lot of educational and therapeutic value that can come out of, of playing these games as well. And that's not just for kids that that's for all ages, but um, I, I have heard and seen of, you know, you know, both schools and, and, and various um, therapists and other things like that who have done D and D sessions for uh, specific therapeutic outcomes or educational outcomes and things like that. Yeah. Um, I, I want to introduce Ness to role-playing games. She's four right now, so she's not the age that she could, you know, we we tried to play DC Superhero Girls dominoes today, and it just became, no, I want the domino that has two poison ivies on it, so we're not there <laughs> yet. Um, but when she gets seven or eight, I, I think it'll be really fun to try to introduce her to uh, role-playing games. I have the Sega Genesis collection on the PS4, and I got her to play Sonic a little bit. Um, I've seen something that I've never seen before on Sonic this now, and it's when you actually lose all your lives and end up back at the start screen. I've never seen that before letting a four-year-old play Sonic and her walking into a spike pit three times in a row. So I'll, t- I'll tell you what. Uh, I don't I know you're not as good of friends, but Risk, who plays our game, his kids are under five, and they play Dungeons and Dragons. Do but they? I, but the key is is that you're the DM and you're making the world. You're asking them, how do you make this world? And that is how they're gonna do it. You know what I mean? Like literally, like okay, you walk into this room and you see this chicken. What do you want to do? Well, I want to go and pet it. Okay roll to see if you do you know what i mean like you let them completely do whatever the hell they want to do and that is how you're playing it you know it's a very dumbed down version of course but i bet you anything she'll play it as long as you give her these real like basic scenarios you know you walk in and there's a a bunch of kittens (laughs) and they're all trying to lick you what do you want you know what i mean like how would you stop them you see milk in a corner (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and I and I bet you would get some of the best D&D stories out of that because, you know, kids' imaginations yeah. are just, they're huge. They're so expansive, yeah. especially younger sure. ones. Oh, and, and they get funny. Uh, I, they watched Shrek 3 today at school, which I've never seen, and there must be a guillotine in that movie yeah. at some point because – Nessa talked about someone getting their head chopped off today. And I was like, what, where, what, where, where did that come from? And I jokingly said to her, did you guys learn about the French revolution today at school? Like, like, where is this coming from? So kids say some great things. They do. So, (laughs) all right. Any final thoughts on tabletop RPGs or our vast range of conspiracy theories we discussed around Dungeons and Dragons? Just sign me up for the Oasis. (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here. You have an early beta tester who might get stuck in the Oasis when the headset, you know, merges or something. If the Oasis is looking for investors... I am happy to invest. Yeah, there. I I don't have the money to invest, but uh, I will actively advertise you on this podcast. You will get out to ten <laughs> listeners. You will never have seen better advertising than this. Uh, two of the listeners are on this podcast, so 
We are actively <laughs> advertising the Oasis to them right now. Thank you. <sighs> well, thank you both for joining. Thanks for having us, man. It was a pleasure. So uh, I always end it with a quote, and I think with talking about Dungeons & Dragons, this is a good one. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look, and you'll see into your imagination. From Pure Imagination, from Willy Wonka, uh, the drug and tripped through a tunnel. So. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. Podcast this.